created you with a capacity for excess. He created me for a capacity for excess. I think that's one of the reasons why we're so attracted to these movies and comic books about superheroes. Because even though our excess might not be like that, there's something inside of us that relates to them. And what's interesting is when we begin to think about that a little bit is that when you compare the superhero to the villain, it's both of them using the powers of excess, but they're using it in very different ways. For the hero, they're using their powers of excess to serve other people. The villain, they're using their powers of excess to serve themselves. And so the tagline of the series, this idea of what kind of hero will you be, is that you and I have to make that same decision every day. Are, are we going to use the abilities that God has given to us to serve others, or are we going to use them to serve ourselves? And so the life verse that, oh, I forgot, we got to do some giveaways, don't we? All right, I'm getting excited about my sermon. All right, let's do this. So we're doing, every week we're doing some giveaways, but the best somebody, I'm just saying, somebody in Newport News last night, they wore a mask. A superhero mask. And so they, so I thought today we'd do the giveaways. I thought we would honor the tech team since they're doubling down in superhero. How about that? That's good. So Chandler, he's got Ghostbusters. So we'll do the iTunes gift card to Chandler. And then we'll do the Superman movie to Michael. So all right, all right, all right. Just saying, you, you bring some superhero stuff next week and you could get some things. All right. All right, back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay. All right, so this is the verse that we've, that, we've, that we've locked into for this series, Galatians 5. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And this last line is so important. There is no law against these things, which means that you cannot have too many of them. Right? There's, you, you cannot have too much. At no point is God going to ever sit you down and say, we need to talk. You're just a little bit too, too joyful. You're going to have to dial it down a little bit, right? He's not ever going to say that because there's no such thing as excess or too much excess when it comes to virtues. And so part of this series is what we're saying is let's make sure that our lives are focused at using our capacity for excess for the right things and not the wrong things. There needs to be an ongoing conversation that we're having with God of, God, I need to have maybe more of, of, of those. I need to have less of this and maybe none of that. That has to be be an ongoing conversation that we're having with God. And God is always going to say to us when it comes to virtues, have more of those things. Because when we've got more of those things in our lives, we are well positioned to live the kind of life that follows after the example of Christ, which is to always serve others and to never be that person that says, I want to serve myself. So Father, as we just continue in this series together this morning, may it be that this capacity for excess that you have given to each of us, that we would always point it in the right direction. That, that our ability to have an appetite for things that are beyond, our ability to have an appetite for things that are more, our ability to have an appetite for things that are just over the top, that God, that we would always and forever be hungry for the virtues that speak to the character of your son so that we would be able to go into this world and to serve our fellow man in the way that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said... Amen. The, the challenge that we find in our own lives is that our capacity for excess gets pointed in the wrong direction. And these are four, I think, of the most common ways that people, inside or outside of the church, that we find ourselves in places of excess. And so we did overeating last weekend. We're talking about overspending this weekend. Next weekend, uh, Pastor Jamie's going to do overworking at both campuses, and then I'm going to do oversexing at both campuses the weekend after that. What's interesting about these traps that, we've, that we find ourselves 
ourselves falling into that all of these things are good things when they're done the right way. And I think that's part of the trick of the, the devil is that he draws us away into things that there is a measure of goodness to them. But when they're, in, when they're present in our lives in a volume that's more than what they should be, or maybe in situations and contexts and in, in, in circumstances that they shouldn't be, that that's something that God created that was supposed to be good has now become something that's bad. And so part of this journey as followers of Christ is learning how to take the things that God has given to us and learning how to live them out according to his plan so that they will be life-giving and not destructive. So if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know that in January we launched our, our 2020 vision. And so we just want to give a little bit of an update that on that this morning. And then it's going to tie into our conversation about overspending. But in, in the summer, this past summer, uh, when we were doing our anniversary service in January, I shared about how God was really speaking to me through this verse. We were in the Outer Banks and I was just up one morning, I was reading my Bible and, and, and came to this verse. And I really felt like God began to speak to me about this life last phrase where it says, let there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And I really felt like what God said to me for us as a church is that, that we have a message vision. That we have a message that God has given to us. And you see it everywhere. You see it on our print stuff. You see it on our signs. You see it on our website. It's this idea of heaven now, heaven forever. That when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, like the people that are wading into their waters of baptism in just a little while, when we make that vow of devotion to Christ, the heaven with the capital H that's waiting for us after we breathe our last, that's promised to us. But we want to be a church that helps you find heaven now. We want to be a church that, 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 that gives you the promise of the heaven that's to come, but we want you to walk in the heaven that is today also. And, and, and that heaven is promised to you based on what Jesus did. This heaven that you can have now is based on what you do. It's based on the choices that you make. And as a church family, we're going on this journey together to say, how can we tell this message of the gospel about the heaven that's to come to the world? And then how can we walk together in community to have the heaven that is for the here and now? We have this message. We've had that message for some time now. And I really felt like God began to speak to me that, Fred, that you you all need a mission vision. And that a and in order for a vision to be whole, it needs both a message and a mission. And God really began to speak to me about coming back from our vacation, talking to our leaders about what's going to be our, our mission. And so we began to talk and we began to pray. And we really felt like God began to kind of dial in this idea of a mission that's going to carry us through the end of 2020. And we were going to call it our 2020 vision. And at our anniversary service in January, we shared that with you, that we felt like there's really two things that God is asking us to focus in on as a church family over the next six years, and that's to plant more campuses and to start a school of leadership and discipleship. And so we're excited to let you know that our application for our first nine-month internship program, which is going to be the precursor to the school of leadership and discipleship, if you're between 18 and 30, those applications are going to be available to you in May, and that's going to start in September. I know it's going to be good. We're calling it Praxis 9 because Praxis is the name of our discipleship model. There's a whole series online, if that's new for you, that you can find through our podcast. And we're calling it the Praxis 9 because it's a nine-month uh, experience. So they're going to get uh, four tracks that we're going to walk them through. Uh, Bible, discipleship, leadership, and life skills. There's two missions trips that they're going to do. They're going to have exposure to all the ministries of the church. It's going to be an amazing nine months. It's going to position them well for life and for leadership. So we're excited about that. So the other part that we're talking 
talking about this morning is the, the next campus that we're launching. As you know, we've talked about launching that campus on the south side. It's going to be in the Suffolk Carrollton area. And we want that campus to launch uh, anniversary weekend, last weekend in January of 2016. So that's about nine months away. And so we've had a strategic planning team that's been meeting together this past quarter since we cast that vision to the church. Uh, we, we've come up with a budget that we think of what it's going to take in order for that campus to launch. We think that's going to be about two hundred and ten thousand dollars to see everything that needs to happen that it's going to happen part of that money is going to go to a big advertising initiative that's going to uh, promote all three of our campuses so we're excited about that we've never been able to do that before Uh, there's going to be an informational meeting after the service for the next two weekends maybe God's been speaking to your heart about possibly being a part of that south side campus and we know that that for some of you the idea of planning the south side campus might not have the same kind of maybe excitement as it does for the Newport News campus because the Newport News campus probably has about 50 to 75 people that come from the south side. Does that make sense? But you need to be excited about the planning of the south side campus because that campus planting is the retelling of the story of the planting of this campus. Does that make sense? And so three years ago, this campus had its birth because people in Newport News were part of a conversation like we're having right now. And not too many people from Newport News were coming from Williamsburg. Does that make sense? But, but God began to speak to us as a campus to see this thing get up and running. And, and they came forward and they made it happen with giving and with serving. And so what we're saying to you today, it's your time to pay that forward. It's your turn to say, we're going to make that happen for the next campus. And I'm excited for a few years from now, we're going to be having a conversation like this with Suffolk about the fourth campus that's going to be planting, right? All of us together, whether or not it's something that we feel like we're going to be directly involved in because we call this our home and it's how we ourselves got started, we've got to be willing to turn around and give that to somebody else. And so of that $210,000 that we think that we're going to have to raise, we think the church is going to be able to bring. 60,000 of that through savings, through surplus cash, through where we're going to be by way of a budget at the end of this year, which leaves 150 that we've got to raise together as a church. And so there's cards that we're giving you today. Not if you're visiting, but if you call this your home church, it has our 2020 vision on here. And we're asking you to begin to pray over the next couple of weeks about what God's going to speak to you about how you're going to be able to make a pledge towards that money. We don't want to put your name on there. It's just between you and God. But it, it does need to be a figure that you're going to be able to do. It's different from faith promise, which is our missions giving, because with faith promise, we say, hey, pray, God's going to give you a number, and you might not know how that money's going to come in, but God's going to provide it, and when he does, that you give that to missions. And so for this one's a little different. We're saying, hey, look at your finances, pray about how God might ask you to step into a place of sacrifice, maybe forego something this year, and be a part of helping us to raise this $150,000. We've been having this conversation with our leaders over the last several weeks. The leadership of both campuses has come together, and we've pledged collectively as a leadership team 70,000 of that 150. Come on, it's good, it's huge. So we're just asking, we're just asking the rest of the church, meet us halfway. You, you with me? And if we all do something, I'm telling you, we're going to raise more than the 150. We're going to have what we need to launch this campus, and we're going to have enough to set aside as seed money for the campus that's going to come after that. And so if you have questions about that, if you're interested, if you've got questions about that budget, we, we do open books here. If you want details, we'll give you those details. Uh, we're going to be talking about those details in the informational meeting uh, over the next 
next couple of weeks. Uh, part of our announcement this weekend are, are, is who the campus pastors are going to be. And so the, we announced it last night at Newport News, so we're just uh, telling you again this morning that Pastor Justin and Stephanie White, come on, are going to be our <laughs> campus pastors for the South Side. They've been doing student ministries uh, for us for these for these last many years, and, uh, and, and we just want to share this with you too, that, that what we have seen happen in student ministries in Newport News, that's going to happen here in Williamsburg. You with me? It's, we're not going to ask this campus to drive there forever. Our, our goal is to see what's happening there is to happen here, and we want to see that happen at every campus. Now, when is that going to happen? I don't know the answer to that question, but what, what we want you to know is this campus continues to grow. We have a commitment to the next generation, and that we want a thriving student ministries to be happening everywhere, and the beginnings of that has already started here through House Party with what Terrence and Kimberly are doing twice a month. Come on. Yep. And what you see happening in student ministries in Newport News, guess what? That's how it started there. That's how it started there. And it's going to grow from there. We're going to have student ministries staff at this campus. All of that is coming. All of that is coming. And so we're excited about how that's going to unfold in your future and at the future of, of every campus. So, um, so we're just asking you to step into this place. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's two texts that are important for us as we're, we're praying about this idea of how much we're going to give. One's in 1 Kings 17. It's a story where Elijah comes across this, this widow. He's been traveling, and, 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 and he says to her, I need you to go and prepare a meal for me. I, I love this story because every time it catches me off guard, every, even though I know how it's going to turn out. And uh, he says, I want you to, to go prepare a meal for me. And, and she says to him, well, I can't do that because I, only, I, I don't even have enough flour and oil to prepare a meal for me and my son. In fact, I, I'm not even sure we're going to survive this famine that's happening in our, in our land. And so every time I read that story, I'm thinking what Elijah should say is I'll just go into the next house. That's okay, ma'am. Right? But that's not what he says. He says, basically, you need to go and do what I told you to do. Right? And, 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 and it's surprising because you think, why would he do that? But what he's doing, right, because he's got a word from God, is that he's setting them up for an amazing story of God's provision. So she does, she goes, and she prepares that meal. And then all of a sudden, God begins to feed that family miraculously through that flour and through that oil for many days. Even a, a special bond develops between Elijah and this family. And he comes back to, to minister to this son in and, 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 and their future. It's an amazing story. You, sh you should check it out. I'm sharing that with you because sometimes, God asks us to give in a season of lack. There, there's times in our lives where in our own personal finances, we're in services like this, and we think to ourselves that there's nothing that I'm going to be able to do. And what we want to challenge you today, we're not asking you to take chances. We're not asking you to do anything foolish. We're not asking you to take risks. That's not who we are as a church. What we are saying is don't be too quick to dismiss what you can and cannot do without first having a conversation with God, that he might make a way in your situation, even though you might be a season, in a season of lack. There's another amazing story. It's in Exodus I'm going to give you the verse here. Exodus 36, 6 through 7 from my note takers. The first one was 1 Kings 17. Next one is Exodus 36, 6 through 7. This is when the Israelites came out of Egypt and, and God had given them great wealth from the Egyptians. And so as they began to, to raise money to make the tent of meeting and, the, and eventually what would be the tabernacle and began to form this nation, that there was this moment in time which this story in Exodus talks about where people began to give offerings and they actually had to tell the people to stop giving because they had more than enough. 
They were living as families in a season of abundance. And these two stories stand in great contrast for us because there are times in our lives where we're going to be in a season of abundance and there's going to be times in our lives where we're in a season of lack. And God asks us to be prepared to give in both of those seasons. In fact, what I would say to you is that you don't learn how to give in a season of abundance until you first learn how to give in a season of lack. What you learn through generosity and seasons of lack prepare you for giving in seasons of generosity. For our own family, we've walked in situations in both of those. And we've learned to be generous in our times of lack, and we're learning how to be generous in our times of abundance. And we trust that no matter where you are in your journey, that all of us are going to be able to do something in order to see this vision realized. Amen? All right. So this morning, so you might be here and you're thinking to yourself as a visitor, oh great, the church is talking about money again, right? And so let me, let me just share some of these stats with you because we don't talk about money a lot as a church. And every time I see these stats, what I think is we probably need to talk about it more if we're gonna do it in the same way that the Bible does. 16 out of every of 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and finances. One out of every 12 New Testament verses deal with money and finances. More than 500 verses on prayer, there's less than 500 verses on faith in the Bible, there's over 2,000 on money. Why is that? Because God knows that if we don't understand the place that money and material things are supposed to have in our lives, that our life is going to get sideways fast. If we're not careful, this place has the potential to be a source of excess and a, a place where, where our capacity for excess gets directed to where our whole life begins to unravel. It's one of the main four traps that we find ourselves in in, the, in this human experience, which is why God gave so much attention to it in Scripture. So I want to talk to you about four questions that we ask ourselves as a family. These are four questions that I've learned throughout my journey as a follower of Christ to protect me against the trap of excess, to, to protect me against this trap of overspending. So when it comes to our material resources, this morning we're going to work through this question, am I submitted? Not to people talking about being submitted to God's word. Am I submitted? Am I cheerful? Am I expectant? And am I content? So am I submitted? This is an important word for us. This is an important word for us. Because a lot of people believe everything that the Bible has to say about who God is. But they don't necessarily like all the things that the Bible has to say from God about how we're supposed to live our lives. And, and you can't have one without the other. There has to be something in my heart that turns to a place of saying, I'm submitted to you. There has to be a place that people that are getting water baptized today, part of their water baptism is this idea of saying to God, I want you to be in a permission-giving relationship with me for the rest of my lives, meaning that you get to rule over my life, that he is a sovereign to me, that he is a king to me. Is he a perfect father? He is a perfect father. Does he love me? He absolutely loves me. Does he always have my best interest at heart? Absolutely. Is he full of grace and mercy and patience? Absolutely, but he's also supposed to be an authoritative presence in our lives. Am I submitted? Luke 16, 13 through 15. It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one 
and love the other. Now watch what happens here in Jesus' teaching. He moves from the idea of affection and he shifts quickly to the concept of authority. No one can serve two masters. So he talks about affection. Then what does he say? You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So this idea of affection and authority, they move together as one in our lives. Verse 14, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at them. And then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. That word detestable in the Greek means to gag. Anybody here have a gag reflex? Yeah? Anybody here like the show Andrew, Andrew Zimmern, Bizarre Foods? Anybody watch that show? Yeah? No? All right. I'm the only one. Okay. Thanks, Jamal. Appreciate it. Even if you're not telling the truth, you're just helping me out this morning. Okay. All right. All right. Now, you, you know, right, you come across these shows and, and they're eating these things. And sometimes, right, I'm, you're, you're, you're watching it just through the television and you're like, oh, gosh, right? Diaper changing, gag reflex. You with me? Everybody's got a list. All the men's hands are going up, right? I know, I know. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever changed? You've changed the diaper? I bet you have because you're a good brother. All right, that's good. Think about all the times in life where, where, where there's, your gag reflex kicks in, that, that feeling that you, you can't control your body. That's what that word detestable means. That, that's what it means. And, and, and it connects it to God. It's an important verse because sometimes we read these things in the Bible and we know that our, our life is out of order and we think to ourselves, well, God, just, it's okay with him because he cares for me. Well, he does care for us. But I don't want to be the person that's causing God's gag reflex to kick in. You're tracking with me? I want my life to be lived in such a way that, that causes him to smile upon me. I want to live my life in such a way that, that, that causes him to, 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 to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, are there times we make mistakes? Absolutely. Are there times where we're gonna, our lives are going to get a little bit sideways? Absolutely. But let's not live in that place. And what he's saying here, what Jesus is teaching us, is that if, if money and material things have a place of ruling over you and instead of you ruling over them, then God's gag reflex is kicking in because it's found a place of an authority in your life that only belongs to God. Now, if you're a note taker, these are for you. We're not gonna go into these, but we try to do that, give you some extra verses, but there's Luke 12, 47, Psalm 24, 1, and then 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13, is that you have to make a decision. God's not going to come in and take control of your life. He's not going to kick in the door. He, he's not going to conquer you, but he stands with an invitation. And that invitation is, will you let me rule your life? And that's hard for us because everything in our humanity wants to self-govern. Everything in our humanity wants to say, I want to do it my way when I want to do it. And that kind of feeling, that kind of attitude is at odds with who God is. He has a divine right to rule over our lives. And the, and the beautiful thing is that when I submit myself to this permission-giving relationship, my life gets better. I, this is what part of what Jesus said in John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. There is a generosity of who God is towards us that we don't find until our heart is fully submitted to him. And that should absolutely be true when it comes to our money and our finances. All right, let's talk about this next one. You might well say, I could be more cheerful if you hadn't started with submission, right? 
right? Because that conversation about the submission, that's not, it's not naturally appealing to us, but that's why this one should come next because God doesn't want us to be submitted out of obligation. He wants us to be submitted out of affection. He, like, it's part of what marriage is. You know, sometimes marriages fall into hard, hard times and hard places, and we try to teach people right feelings follow right actions. Right feelings follow right actions. So there might be a sense of obligation. I'm going to do these things because they're the right things at first. But eventually the emotion should come back and that's what carries you into longevity of relationship. And it's the same with our relationship with God. He wants us to be cheerful in our submission to him. So let me read an excerpt from you out of this book, The Blessed Life. This is the best book I've ever read on giving. I try to read out of it a couple of times every year. It's by Robert Morris. It's called The Blessed Life. And so let me read you a little section out of here. It says, no one is a natural born giver. We're all born takers. We enter this world with a fallen sin nature. And at the heart of that nature is a tendency towards selfishness. In contrast, God is a giver. The most widely known verse in the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, right, should have everlasting life, John 3, 16. God is generous beyond our ability to imagine, but it was selfishness and pride that caused Satan to be cast out of heaven. Many people in our culture have it that, that exactly backwards. They see God as stingy and they see the devil as the one who likes to pass out favors, you are about to begin a journey of discovery, talking about this book. I can tell you from personal experience, there's no greater adventure on earth than simply living a life of generosity and abundance that is available to all of God's people, but that so few dare to live. It's a journey of reward. It's a blessed life. Read on and let the adventure begin. If you've never read this book, it's a short book. It's a powerful book. Don't read it if you don't want to be challenged. It's amazing. He's earned the right to say some of the things that, that he says because of the life of generosity that he himself has lived. Does that make sense? A lot of people write books like this, but they've not done it themselves. And he's done amazing things. What he's done by way of generosity, it's a powerful story and a powerful teaching. And one of the things that he comes back to every time is the attitude with which we give. There's got to be a cheerfulness that accompanies our generosity in order for generosity to rise what the Bible calls what we would say is a biblical, a biblical standard. So let me give you a couple of more verses. Again, if you're a note, take, note taker, Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 19, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. I love this text in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's the place where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And I think so often we, we kind of pigeonhole that last part about in everything give thanks into, into, into circumstantial parts of life, right? That when I'm having a good day or when I'm having a bad day, I just I need to learn how to be thankful. And that's part of it. But part of this idea is in everything give thanks is that word everything means that. It means in everything. And so part of it is not just circumstances in life. It also includes the commands of God over our lives is that I have to learn how to be thankful about the things that God says, do more of that, do less of this, and none of those. And I've got to learn how to be thankful in every one of those conversations. And the things where God's saying to me, Fred, too, this, these are too lacking in your life. There needs to be more of these things. I need to be thankful about that. And, and when he says to me, hey, there, there needs to be less of this, I've got to be thankful in that. And when he comes to me and says, and this over here, that should never be a part of your life, I need to learn how to be thankful. 
Not being obedient begrudgingly. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? We parent not just for the action, but we parent for the attitude. And if the action is there and the attitude is absent, I don't know about your house, but in our house, they're still getting in trouble. Right? Because we're trying to shape a heart. We're not just trying to create a robot. And we want our children to be raised so they do good because of love of virtue, not because of fear of consequence. And God wants that same thing for us. He wants to move through this life as children who are wise, who act courageously, who choose righteousness, not because of some dreaded fear of consequence, but because there is a love of virtue that is in our hearts. And when it comes to generosity, when it comes to our material possessions, when God looks at me and says, Fred, I want you to give this to that, and I say, but I want to spend this on that over there, I've got to be willing to submit to his will, but do it in a way that is cheerful because I know that he he always has my best interest at heart. Am I expectant? Am I expectant? Love Psalm 12. I'm not going to read all of it to you this morning, but you should write it down if you've never read this psalm. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their, and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Listen to what it says. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their businesses fairly. And this psalm goes on and on, listing promise after promise after promise that should create a sense of expectancy in the heart of every child of God. Do I... Move in moments of generosity because I know good things are going to come back to me. That cannot be my motive. But don't you love it that the Bible still is filled with promises of the good that is going to come back to us? Don't you love that about God? He says, hey, don't let this be your motivation. But I want you to know that there's a law that exists in the world called reciprocity. And when you sow in, there's good that's going to come back to you. In fact, there's this beautiful verse in Luke that talks about a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. God's language about the good that comes back to us. Malachi talks about this idea of an open heaven. The language of the Bible that talks about the good that's going to come back to us, if we're not careful, we'll think that God's given to exaggeration. It sounds like hyperbole because he says such amazing things. He says things that seem as though they're impossible, but I'm telling you that they're not and that God is not an exaggerator. He's only a speaker of truth. And this place of generosity that he asks us to live in, in that place of generosity, we can expect that God is going to be even more generous back to us. When I have a submitted heart to his authority, when I do it in a cheerful way, that there is a righteous expectation, not a sense of entitlement. Those are two different things. Not a sense of entitlement, but a sense of expectancy that good is going to come back to me. Verse after verse after verse. And here's some for you to check out. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. Psalm 27, 13. It's a hallmark verse for us. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mark 10, 29 through 30. It's one of the places in the New Testament where material things are promised to the children of God. Promises versus circumstances, you've got to make a decision. 
You've got to decide when your circumstances are bleak. Are you going to believe in your situation or are you going to believe in God's promises? We're going to be telling our story uh, probably, in a, probably in a couple of months, just the journey that our family has been through. Again, if you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, it's not new for you. But just what we've been through over the last five years with our house uh, being built with toxic Chinese drywall, having lost that in 2009, uh, living for five years on the verge of bankruptcy because of that financial disaster. This is part of what when I talk to you about giving out a season of lack, I'm talking to you about our, our own life. Moments that God has asked us to step in to give when it seemed as though that, that we should shouldn't and being faithful in that and now the good that's coming from that. China has never paid a product liability suit in the history of the world ever and they just paid for the very first time. So I'm telling people all the time that God shook a nation for our 2020 vision. You with me? Right? He turned a country upside down to shake out their pockets. And, and so we believe that we're going to be able to do something, probably a moment of generosity that we would may not ever be able to do again for the rest of our lives because of what's happening in our own journey, in our, in our own story. And so I'm sharing that with you because that's not where our journey started. Right? When, when we took off those outlet covers of our house and saw that those ground wires were corroded and we realized that we had just lost our home, that we had put our whole life savings into, you with me, that we had to make a decision. Are we going to believe our circumstances or are we going to believe God's promise? Right? And so I'm telling you, we've been there. I know that some of you are there right now. And, and, I, and I'm not talking about situations and circumstances that we get ourselves into because of our own foolish behavior. That's another sermon for another time. We're talking about redemptive affliction. Talking about in our innocence, when you've done everything right, when you're walking in obedience to God and tragedy still comes upon us. It's a Job-esque type situation. In those moments, we have to choose. Am I going to believe my circumstance or am I going to believe God's promise? And when you choose to believe God's promise, it doesn't mean that it's going to get better tomorrow. For us, it took five years. Some of you are saying, I wish my situation had only taken five years. Everybody's story is different. Everybody's story is different. But the same truth is going to carry you through that carried us through. You've got to decide. My expectancy is not based on the reality of my circumstance. My expectancy is based on the promise that my God has given to me. All right, let's talk about this last one. I am content. I am content. All right, we're good. Good on time. I want to get out a little bit early for our baptisms. All right, Luke 12, 14 through 15 and 22 through 32. Again, you can read the, the text that's up there for my note takers, but, but this is the verse early on. I think it's in 14 or 15 where you see the word greed. Uh, depending on your Bible, how it translates, it, it, your, your Bible might translate it covet or covetousness. Uh, that word in the Greek is pleonoxia. It's derived from pleon, which means more, and echo, which is to have. It's the desire for having more or it's the desire to have what you don't. Does that make sense? It's this unhealthy desire to say, I want more of something I already have, or an unhealthy desire to have something that you don't presently have. And it's not just with material possessions, which is such an interesting study in the Bible, because this is the sin that Judas was guilty of. He was guilty of Pleonexia because he wanted something more of Jesus that he did not come to do. He wanted Jesus to establish a political kingdom. He wanted to be a part of the royalty. He wanted the wealth and the riches and the fame that would come from being a part of Jesus' court. He wanted more of something of destiny for Jesus and for himself that was not part of God's will. That's the, the root cause of greed and coveting. And, and so many times it is material focus, but it can be so much more than that. 
You, you can be greedy or covet the gifts of other people. Maybe you can't sing or play an instrument like me, right? And week after week you go, what I would give to be able to sound like some of the people that are up here. We have to be reminded God didn't give us that gift because he gave us a different gift that we're supposed to celebrate. If I'm not careful, this desire inside of my heart, my capacity for excess, I can always want more of the things that I shouldn't want more of and something of the things that God doesn't intend to give to me. It's such an egregious sin because it's questioning the sovereignty of God. It's such a dangerous emotion, feeling, unhealthy appetite because it's questioning whether or not God knew what he was doing when he was handing out gifts. It's questioning, it's questioning whether or not God knew what he was doing when he was handing out destinies. Was he having a bad day when he created mine? You know, did, was, 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 was I just forgotten? Was, was I last minute? There's, there's nothing about any of that for any of us. God is perfect in all that he does and in every way. I believe that all of us have a material destiny. I don't believe that it's promised for us for, to, for, for we have equal opportunity for equal wealth in this world. I believe we have a material destiny that, that's going to be different and unique for all of us. But whether or not we're going to be able to reach the material destiny that God has given to us is going to be dependent upon his grace? Yes. Is it dependent upon his favor? Absolutely. Is, are there blessings that he brings to us that's just because he loves us? Absolutely. But a great portion of our material destiny is waiting for us to walk in obedience to the truth of his word. And while I'm walking, I've got to learn how to be content with what I have and where I am. It's an important one because this idea of contentment holds expectancy and balance. You're tracking with me? Submission and cheerfulness do that same way. There's a healthy tension that these four hold each other in. Deuteronomy 5.21, again, if you're one of our note takers this morning, 1 Timothy 6.10, and then Philippians 4.10 through 13. Your ability to be content has nothing to do with what you do or do not have. Your ability to be content is totally dependent on what you believe about who God is. When your belief about who God is is settled and finds its foundation in his word, there is a sense of contentment that nothing in this world, no circumstance that you could ever face could displace it because who God is is unchangeable and immovable. Invite the worship team to come back up. And if you're being baptized this morning, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and make your way to the place where you're going to do some changing. It was great. I was, I was, I was passing Erica in the hallway, and, and, uh, and, I, and I said to Erica, I said, you're getting, you're, you're getting in the water today. And she thought I said, you're, you're having some water today because she works out a lot, right? And so I hear her say, always, right? Always was her answer. And I thought to myself, that's the best answer you could ever give about getting into the water of your baptism, right? Because even though they're getting into the water one time, you got to get into that water always for the rest of your life in a spiritual sense. It, it's saying, I'm going to wade out into the waters of our humanity, and who goes down is not going to be the person that comes up. And so I'm just saying to you today, as we're in there, I hope you're making noise for them. We're a rowdy church, if you haven't already figured that out. And so we want to cheer them on in their journey in this life. And I'm just telling you, if you're here today and God has touched your heart in a way and you've never been water baptized before, it's worth the drive home wet if you didn't bring a change of clothes. And we've got a towel just for you. So stand with me as we pray. Father, we just thank you for this time that we've had together today. We, we know the God that we've, we've, we're, we're packing a lot into these 90 minutes. 
But we know, God, that you have a full plate for us to live. You've got a full plate for us to live. We know, God, that there's going to be amazing conversations today between husbands and wives and families about what, what, what we're all going to do together to see this money raised, to see this campus launch, God. The story that is happening here, come on, God, we want to see it happen over there. The life that's happening here in Williamsburg, the birth of this campus, the momentum that's present here, we want to see all of that started there. And then we just want to see it, Father, that happen as many times as it's supposed to by the end of 2020. We thank you for those interns that are going to be picking up applications in just a few weeks, God. For those nine months that they're going to give of their life to get ready for life and leadership. Father, we thank you for the people that are making decisions to live for you today in the waters of their baptism, God. And I thank you today for people who are saying, in regards to their checkbook, in regards to their, their purse or their wallet, in regards to their assets, they're saying to you today, God, I want to be more submitted to you with my finances. I want to be cheerful. I want to be expectant. And oh, God, help me to be content with the material destiny that you're speaking over my life. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship together.